All right. Why don't you grab your Bibles? Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5. We continue our walk through the Sermon on the Mount. Here's a question. How do you convince someone you're telling the truth? How do you prove it? Is there a way we can speak so that people can be sure that we are, in fact, telling the truth? How do we do that? Well, in a court of law, I've not been to one recently, but I've heard, and maybe they still, you put, I know you swear, I don't have to put your hand on a Bible anymore, but traditionally, we put our hand on a Bible and we say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. On the playground, there's a different oath, at least when I was growing up. The oath was, cross my fingers, hope to die, stick a thousand needles in my eye, right? It's an oath. It's a way of saying, I'm telling the truth, you can count on it. And if that's not enough, I'll pinky promise. A pinky promise can't be broken. There are probably others. But the point is that from the legal system to the playground, we've developed ways to communicate. Ways to say, right here, right now, at this moment, I'm telling the truth. This is my word. You can count on it. Take it to the bank. The check will cash. It's true. But have you ever considered why we feel the need for these kinds of oaths? Why do we have these kinds of promises? Why do we swear? Well, the reason is because we don't always tell the truth. It's a reality that in the world we live in, by nature, we are people who lie. Not all the time, but enough that no one is surprised if the question comes, are you, are you telling the truth? It's a question I ask almost every day at our house. Are you telling the truth? Usually to Michelle, but sometimes to the kids. <laughs> or the other way around. Are you telling the truth? Is that what happened? Is that actually what he said, what he did, where he went, <laughs> right? We ask these questions because as part of our sin nature, we are people who lie, we exaggerate, we bend the truth. We add something to the story to make ourselves look a little bit better, or we leave out some details that may paint us in a bad light. Things we're all guilty of. This morning as we come to the scriptures, we hear the words of Christ and the main point of what we're going to see, I'll just tell you at the front end, the, the main thing that you should leave with this morning is this. As the people of God, those living as a part of the kingdom of God, we are to be a people of truth. People who love the truth, who speak the truth, who trust God that telling the truth is always best no matter the cost. If you've been with us, then you know that we've been working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. And the big idea of the sermon, what Jesus is doing, he's describing what it looks like for the, for the people of God to live as the people of God, to, to, to be kingdom citizens, good kingdom citizens. And in this particular section of the sermon where we are, started back in verse 21 and goes through the end of the chapter. In this particular section, Jesus is making some comparisons or I guess rather some, some contrasts between the teaching of the religious leaders of his day and the way God actually intends for his people to live. 
We've seen over the last several weeks that there was a difference. The, the scribes and the Pharisees, they claimed to be teaching the law of God. But what Jesus is showing us is that while they, they quoted the law of God and, and they held to it in word, they, they missed often its true meaning. They were taking the law of God and using it to say and to teach things or to not say and not teach things that God intended. Even as I say that, that these men were holding the word of God and yet not teaching what God intended, that, man, that's a warning to, to me in particular. To consider that the scribes and the Pharisees, people trusted them believed that they were holding out the truth, that they were pointing to the ways of God when in fact they were leading people to sin. That's a sobering warning, isn't it? It's important that we understand exactly what God says, that we believe exactly what God has said. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they weren't doing that. They had developed this systems of measures and gauges. So if you do these things, you're righteous, If you don't do these things, you're not, or vice versa. It was all based on these standards that they had erected. Now Jesus comes and he says, that's not true righteousness at all. They had developed a system that was different than God's standard. And so we've been walking through these different contrasts of God, of Christ. And um, this morning we come to oaths. It's a word that we don't use a lot, at least I don't. But oaths were common throughout the Old Testament. They were common in the days of Jesus. If you want a definition, here's one. An oath is a declaration in which someone appeals to something or someone greater than themselves as a way of giving credibility or guarantee to their word. I'll say that again. An oath is a declaration in which someone appeals to something or someone greater than themselves as a way of giving credibility or guaranteeing their word. So it could sound something like this. I give my word before God that I will do this or that. Or I swear before heaven that I won't do this or that. Or God is my witness. I'm telling the truth. And we have examples of these kinds of oaths all through the Bible. Abraham swore oaths. Moses, David. All through the Old Testament, we have examples of oaths being sworn. We have examples of God himself swearing oaths swearing by himself that he will do what he has said that he will do. They're common, and we seem to have positive examples of oaths throughout the Bible. But it's also clear from our passage this morning that the people were using oaths in a way that did not please God. So again, what Jesus is doing, he's showing how the scribes and Pharisees, they created a a system that were leading people to sin. In this case, they had developed a use of oaths that was not promoting the truth, but was making opportunities for dishonesty. The point Jesus is making is that the people of God should be people of truth. So he calls out the use and misuse of oaths, and he calls on the people of God to speak the truth. Maybe maybe you breathed the sigh of relief when last week was over. We got through the anger passage, We got through the lust passage. We got through the divorce passage. 
Okay, I'll come back next week. I'm just talking about oaths. I would suggest, church, this is as serious and maybe more prevalent for us than the others. We talk all the time. We use our words all day long. The question is, are we people of truth? Are we people who can be trusted? That's what Jesus is going to help us consider. Matthew chapter 5, we're in verse 33, and we'll read to verse 37. Hear the word of God. Again, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Something I say every week. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God will stand forever. This morning it seems especially relevant. This portion from Isaiah is a reminder that God can be trusted. His word never changes. We change. We're not always trustworthy, but everything God says is true. Everything God says will come to pass. It's a good reminder. Something I've tried to stress over the last several weeks as we walk through this section is that what we see here is not Jesus taking issue with the Old Testament. God's word doesn't change. He's not taking issue with the law of God. He's taking issue with the way the scribes and the Pharisees had taught and applied the scriptures. So we have this contrast between the Pharisees' teaching of the law and God's true intent and his desire for his people. The the text starts there in verse 33. Again, you have heard it said. And if you've been with us, you know this is a phrase that we've seen repeated over and over. You can just look back in your Bible, back up to verse 21. You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. Verse 27, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Verse 31, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. And now we're to the the fourth of six of these. Again, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord which you have sworn. Six sections and really six illustrations that are, that are teaching an overall message that we must know what God has said. We must recognize the true standard of righteousness, and it goes deeper than outward behavior. When we look at verse 33, what we have, it's not a direct quote from the Old Testament, but it's a, it's a pretty good summary of a few different passages. Let me just give you a few passages that were probably drawn from to compose this this statement. Leviticus 19.12. You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. So here's this prohibition. 
Don't swear falsely using the name of God. Don't dishonor the name of God in order to cover up your lies. Serious stuff, isn't it? Here's another similar passage that probably influenced their teaching. Numbers 30. Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes of the people of Israel saying, This is what the Lord has commanded. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself to a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. So if you make a vow in the name of the Lord, keep your vow. Don't dishonor the name of God by not keeping your word. I'll give you one more. Deuteronomy chapter 23. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay in fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what has passed from your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you promised with your mouth. So we have these passages and others from which the Pharisees and scribes had drawn this teaching. Jesus says in verse 33, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord which you have sworn. It's a call to keep vows, to keep your word. And honestly, it's pretty good teaching as far as that goes. But again, what we've seen over and over in the section is that their, their teaching didn't go far enough. And often it was misguided. Here the scribes and the Pharisees were saying true things, but they were creating a standard of righteousness that went like this. If you don't swear falsely in the name of God and you keep your oath, then you've kept the law. You remember, we've seen this over and over. You've heard it said, don't commit murder. And they said, as long as you don't kill someone, you've kept the law. Jesus says, no, 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 it goes deeper than that. Don't be angry with your brother. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. Okay, as long as I don't commit the physical act of adultery, I've kept the law. I'm in the righteous category. And Jesus says, no, no, no. If you've lusted in your heart, obedience is deeper. We see this pattern continue here. This creation of standards of righteousness that missed the heart and missed the true desire of God. The standard they were holding up is, if you swear in the name of God, keep your vow which is good as far as it goes, but there was more to the story. There was more to the teaching of the scribes that we learned this in other places. There were some oaths that they said, if you make this kind of oath, don't break it. But then there's these other kinds of oaths, different degrees of oaths. And we, this is from the Bible. If you have your Bible, why don't you just flip over for a second to Matthew chapter 23. I'll show you what I'm talking about. Because Jesus explains their system of oaths there in chapter 23. It's one of these woe to you sections. I think that's a, a phrase we should bring back. I want to bring it back in my house. Woe to you, child. <laughs> if you, Right? Verse 16, woe to you blind guides. This is Jesus speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by his oath. 
See what's happening there? These different kinds of oaths. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? Here's an example of these different kinds of oaths. People are saying, I just swore by the temple, not by the gold. Oath didn't really count, right? I had my fingers crossed behind my back. It wasn't a real promise. I said, cross my fingers, hope to die, but I didn't say stick a thousand needles in my eye, right? It wasn't a true oath. He goes on. And you say, scribes and Pharisees, if anyone swears by the altar, then it's nothing. But if anyone swears by a gift that's on the altar, he's bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and also by everything on it. Whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. Whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. They had created this sliding scale. Swear by this? Eh. Just don't swear by this. Unless you intend to keep it. Some oaths were binding and some weren't. So if you're going to make an oath, don't put yourself at too much risk. Just swear by something lesser. But the point Jesus is making in chapter 23 is that it doesn't matter what you swear against. It all belongs to God. It all connects back to God. Swear by the temple? He's in it. Swear by the heavens? He's there. It all connects back to God. Every broken oath is a broken oath against God. Everyone. Let's just push a bit further. Every lie spoken to anyone is a lie against God. Everyone. I said at the heart of the passage is a call to the people of God to be people who speak the truth. It is a passage about oaths and about the misuse of oaths. But more than that, it's a call from Christ to his people to speak the truth. The scribes and the Pharisees, they had this system that gave people wiggle room. A system where breaking some oaths was not a big deal. Breaking other oaths was overlooked. And while I appreciate that they were saying, honor the name of God, don't swear falsely in the name of God, good. They missed the reality that every lie and every broken promise is, in fact, against God. And so what we have is Jesus showing us what it truly means to honor him. We get the but there in verse 34. You have heard it said from the scribes and Pharisees, verse 34. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven or for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. A call for the truth. If you leave with anything this morning, this is what you should leave with. The people of God must be people of truth all the time everywhere, with everyone. We'll talk more about that in a few minutes. But first, we have a, a relatively big question that we have to answer about this text. It's not an easy question to answer. 
I tell you that truthfully because I must. It's not an easy question. And it's a question that good, godly people have differed on. So I'll preface that. Here's the question. What is Jesus teaching us about oaths, vows, swearing, and promises? And let me give you two ways this text has been understood by good and godly people. Two different ways. The first one seems at first read to be the obvious and clear answer, which is to say that Christ is completely forbidding the taking of any kind of oath. I mean, just look at verse 34. But I say to you, do not take any oath at all. Clear? The scribes and Pharisees are misusing and abusing oaths, and now we have the response of Christ, do not take an oath. There was a system where oaths were being used to, to cover up lies, and it's a system of crossed fingers. The response of Christ, don't take oaths. And then there's the alternative in verse 37, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So if we just read that, it seems clear. The people of God should not use oaths. We should be people of truth. Everything we say should be true, and we shouldn't confuse the issue with oaths. And this is a position that many good and faithful Christians have held. There is never a time when we should ever take an oath. And if that's the right understanding of the text, we should seek to obey it. And if we're going to obey that, then we have some more questions that we must answer. For instance, if you get called to court this week and the judge asks you to swear an oath, what should you do? What do we do with sworn affidavits and legally binding sworn statements? What do we do with marriage vows? What if you get elected to public office? How does that work with the oath? Where are the lines? What about church membership covenants? If true, Jesus truly means that we must not take any kind of oath, then there are questions that we must answer. But before we head down the road of answering all those questions, let's zoom out a little bit. It's always important to consider what's the context here? What's Jesus trying to accomplish here? And what does the rest of the Bible say? And I just want to zoom out for a minute and, and draw your attention to a few things. And then we'll, we'll try to get to a conclusion. I'll read you three passages from Paul. First, Romans 1, 9. Paul says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. Philippians 1, 8. God is my witness how I yearn for you. It's oath-like, isn't it? But maybe it's not an oath. This one seems a little closer, if the others aren't. 2 Corinthians 1, 23. I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming to Corinth. God is my witness, and hold it against me if I'm telling a lie. That's what Paul says. Okay? Maybe those aren't oaths. Maybe we could say, I don't think that's an oath. That's different than what Jesus is talking about. Okay, that's, that's possible. Hebrews 6, 13. Here we have God making an oath and not seemingly discouraging people from making oaths. Hebrews 6.13, 
When God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, God swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. God makes an oath. Okay, God can do things I can't do. So we could maybe just, that's the end of that. We keep reading, though. He says, For people swear by something greater than themselves. Just as a fact, he says. And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement and hold fast to the hope set before us. That's a really cool passage in its own right. Um, you can take, go read Hebrews 6 just for Hebrews 6 this afternoon, but very least here we see God making an oath and an, an acknowledgement that people make oaths. Doesn't necessarily make it right, but we should think about it. It's here. In the Old Testament, there's lots of regulations about what vows and oaths should look like. I'll give you just one example. Ecclesiastes 5 says, when you make a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay whatever you vow. It's better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. So some direction about oaths. And then we have dozens and dozens of examples of people swearing oaths. Again, does someone doing something in the Bible make it right? Not necessarily. But we have many, many godly people doing this without any seeming correction. Genesis 14, this is Abraham speaking to Melchizedek, the king of Sodom. He says, I have lifted up my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you say I have made Abram rich. He holds his hand to the Lord and makes a promise. There was a covenant and oath between Jonathan and David. Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David in 1 Samuel 20, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan and David swear again by his love for him, that he loved him as he loved his own soul. One more, Ezra 10. Ezra arose and made the leading priests and the Levites and all Israel take an oath that they would do as had been said. They took the oath. All kinds of examples. Again, just because something doesn't in the Bible doesn't necessarily mean it's right. But my point being is that throughout the Old Testament and then even these examples in the New Testament, it seems that oaths are happening what we also know is that there was a particular problem going on with the kinds of oaths that were being used by the scribes and the Pharisees and those they taught. Perhaps there's enough to suggest that there may be more nuance to what Jesus is saying than just never take an oath. Maybe it's not a complete forbidding of all oaths. Perhaps he's taking issue with the kinds of oaths and the system of oaths that was being used during his time. This sliding scale of some oaths are binding and some aren't. And if you're going to take that kind of oath, then don't take any oath at all. You see how that changes it a little bit? If you're, just, if you're participating in the system of, of some good oaths and some bad oaths, that system doesn't work. It was a loophole. Jesus is saying, there are no oaths that aren't made before the face of God. 
So if you think you can swear by something other than God, and that oath is somehow less binding, you don't understand the nature of oaths, and you don't understand the nature of God. Everything God created connects back to him. If you swear against anyone or anything, make a promise before anyone or anything, you've made it before God. So we see there in verses 34 to 36, people swore against heaven, and he says, heaven is God's, it's the throne of God. People swore against earth, but the earth, he says, that's God's. It's his footstool. People swore against Jerusalem. He said, that's the city of the king. Some people swore against themselves. Surely I'm safe if I just swear against myself. But you're not sovereign over yourself. You can't just think and turn your hair from white to black or black to white. Some of you do it other ways. But you can't just think it. You aren't sovereign, you belong to God, and even an oath against yourself is an oath before God. To swear anything against anything is a promise before God. And so if there's a category in your minds of some oaths that count and some don't, then you don't understand the way of God. Jesus offers this alternative. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. To say anything that's not true, that's showing the wickedness of our hearts. When you say yes, you should mean yes. When you say no, you should mean no. There aren't loopholes in the truth. The scribes and the Pharisees, they'd created some wiggle room. Jesus says, your word must be your word, must be your word, must be your word. To ever suggest anything different comes from a place of evil. It's deceitful, it's wicked, it's sin. We've seen this over and over in the Sermon on the Mount. God sees the heart. He sees more than physical adultery. He sees and holds us accountable for the lusts of our heart. He sees and cares more about, it's not just about physical murder. He holds us accountable for the anger of our heart. He sees more than binding or non-binding oaths. He sees and holds us accountable for the truth. As the people of God, we must be the people of God with no exceptions. With that said, this much is certain. Every word and every oath is serious. He's calling for a complete halt to the system of oaths that have been created in his day. They were deceptive. And I believe these were the kinds of oaths, it was the system of oaths that he was forbidding. Just to wrap up the point. It does not seem to me that based on the whole of Scripture, that this is a call for all oaths, vows, promises to cease. But it is a call for the people of God to be people of the truth. And reality is an oath shouldn't be necessary to bolster your word because your word should be truth as it is. To double down on a lie by making it an oath is to double the sin. Let me say this. If you are convinced... that this is a place where oaths and vows, that there's still a place for that. If, if, if you would line there, I would say, this should at least push us to say they should not be taken lightly, right? That may leave questions in your mind, and there is some room for debate on the nuances of oaths, but let's, let's 
end by considering what we know is true, what, what's certain. I think we all agree that this is certain. Jesus is calling us to be people of the truth. Are we people who tell the truth? Are you known as a person who tells the truth, or are you a person who people wonder about? Do people wonder if you will keep your word? Have you developed a reputation in your workplace? He may do it. Well, did he say he was going to? Yeah. That doesn't always mean he will. What's your reputation? We're all guilty of forgetting things at times. We all oversleep. We all miss things. We can all be careless, but we should strive not to have a reputation of being untrustworthy. As the people of God, we should be striving to be people of our word, our yes meaning yes and our no meaning no. And when we say we will, we do. And when we say we won't, we don't. And this is something that the scripture has a lot to say about. The people of God are to be people of the truth. Ephesians 4, Paul's describing what it looks like. This is what it looks like to be. Remember Ephesians 1 and 2? Chosen, called, set apart. Heirs of grace and of the kingdom of God. Here's what you look like. Chapter 4. Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. We're members of one another. Something similar in Colossians 3. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. Think about that. The old self's put away. What does that mean? Don't lie. These passages make it clear. We should be people of the truth. Friend, you could be guilty of doing exactly what the Pharisees did. Of categorizing and justifying. That wasn't really a lie. It was a misunderstanding. It wasn't really a lie because it didn't hurt anyone. It wasn't a lie because it could have happened. It wasn't a lie. It just wasn't the whole truth. We are masters of finding ways to justify ourselves. But friends, God sees the heart. He calls us to be people of the truth. And let me just insert here. If you're sitting here and you recognize that the person next to you is someone that you lied to today and they know it, you can repent. You can be forgiven, right? We're going to sin. But the gospel of Jesus says that if we confess our sins, he'll forgive us. So if you are here and you are burdened by your guilt, knowing you don't have to stay there and that God can give you the grace to change, The psalmist says in Psalm 15, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. It goes beyond what comes out of our mouth. How are we, are we deep down truth people? Psalm 51. Behold, you delight in the truth and in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Truth in the inward being. God desires truth in our hearts to be people of truth all the way down. Which means more than just avoiding blatant lies. 
It means not being a person who's given to exaggeration. We say is true without addition. We could go on. There's so many ways that we can be careless with our words. But what I hope you leave with this morning is a desire to search your heart and consider, am I striving to be a person of the truth? Where are the places where I'm tempted to shade the truth, to avoid the truth? What does it mean for my yes to be yes and my no to be no? This is what Jesus is calling us to do and to be. So consider your heart. Let's not be like the scribes and Pharisees who played fast and loose with the truth. After all, we're God's people. We reflect his character. And our God is a God of truth and faithfulness. And we'll end here. Aren't you glad that we serve a God who can be trusted? That we can trust his promises? That his yes is yes and his no is no? That he is always faithful to his word? Which again means if if you have sinned to confess, he said he will forgive you, and he will. He promised Abraham that through him all nations of the earth would be blessed. He promised David that through his line a king would come and rule forever, and God is keeping his promises. He's made promises to us that everyone who believes on the name of Jesus will be saved. And all who are saved have eternal life. And that Jesus is coming again and will be set free forever, forever from the power and presence of sin, there will be a day when you will not be able to lie. And you'll never be lied to again. And if you're suffering today because you've been the recipient of lie after lie, know that Jesus is coming to make all things new. This will not last forever. And right now, as his people, we have a chance to show the world what our God is like by being people of truth, people who can be trusted. And I pray that God would use our faithfulness as a means of showing his character to the world. Let's be people of truth.